The following program is intended for mature audiences. It's Big Boom Radio Friday, people, so it's time once again for the Big Boom Radio podcast, Riffs and Rants, with Johnny Teflon and Michael Sean Lee. Both barrels, both sides, and a lot of good music, too. What are you people, on soap? All I know is this violates every canon of respectable broadcasting. Indeed it does, my friend. Indeed it does. But first, it's time for the opening gem of the day.
that was kind of fun. And believe it or not, that was my suggestion. Yeah. And I only laid claim to it because, you know, listeners of the show know that I'm not apt to go to Nirvana as my first <laughs> first guess. I'm just pissed you beat me to it. It was like, I know. oh, and God, that how did he come up was, with this before I did? Jesus. Yeah, that was worth the price ah. of admission, as they say. Indeed. So, yeah, that was, uh, that was Dive by Nirvana. That was a, uh, a B-side, actually, uh, to their uh, 1990 single called Sliver. And for a lot of people, it was the first exposure that a lot of us had to Nirvana. And uh, the same version was re-released in 1992 on their uber-popular compilation album, Incesticide. Mm-hmm. And yeah, go ahead and sort out whatever the yeah. that means. <laughs> um, but you want to talk about a song that like had mileage, Sub Pop, uh, which was Nirvana's like indie label, released it twice. Mm-hmm. DGC Records, which was a, uh, a subsidiary of Geffen, their major label, also released it. So, I mean, the record labels got a lot of mileage out of that particular right. song. They really did. But a lot of people regard that as the epitome of Nirvana. Hmm. And, uh, and I got to say the same. That is, to this day, one of my favorite Nirvana tunes. And, uh, and obviously, it dovetails nicely... It does. Into our topic for today. And it's, uh, it's, it's, well, you would think it would be an easy nut to crack. And when I first thought it up this uh, week, early only. in the week, yeah. it, it was, you know, but it, it was happening, and it was now. And, uh, well, the gist of it is, folks, we're going to be talking about the ill-fated journey of the Titan. Yeah. And talk about, like, Getting blindsided, yeah, uh, by a major media topic. I mean, this popped up what Monday morning, Monday and it was morning. all over by Thursday. Yeah, and, and we knew that was going to be a risk. And I said to you, I'm like, yeah, ugh. yeah, it, it'll be recent, it'll be in people's minds. But the way things went, pretty much ensured that we were going to have a good topic for today. Oh yeah, well, it was because it like, runs the gamut. Yeah, it was kind of <laughs> like being sideswiped by a train. It was like, yeah. well, what the hell just happened? Yeah, and you know how do we sort this out, and what's significant, what's not? Right. It uh, it was slightly slightly amazing, I think personally the way the media just glommed onto this in exactly. mass. It was but like, for those that, yeah. that aren't, because there are people that are not aware of the story. Okay. Are we talking about people that live in a cave with bad Wi-Fi? As you say, you know Indeed. those people that you're prejudiced against. I know. <laughs> uh, in a nutshell, from thirty thousand feet, um, yes. there's a, 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 a teeny tiny submarine called the Titan. By uh, was it Ocean Gate? I believe is, so. Is yeah. The, uh, yeah. It's uh, extreme tourism extraordinaire. Yeah. We'll get more into that later. But basically, for the uh, the whimsical sum of two hundred fifty thousand dollars American. You and a friend, in some cases, or a son, indeed, can uh, take a trip down to the Titanic, America's Playland, and <laughs> float there and look through the uh, the misty gloom at yeah, the a decaying ship, yeah, like porthole, and we'll take turns climbing all over each other to get a view right. of this. I mean, the, this glass has got to be so thick; it's it's thicker than the Japanese people's glasses in the old Warner Brothers cartoons. <laughs> Dating myself there, but it's it's really really thick glass. Yeah, and. Um, Yes, that is it. That's all you do for That's the two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Yeah. yeah, and unfortunately, uh, there was a catastrophe. Uh, you know, catastrophic implosion is what they're, what they're calling it. Yeah, basically, the pressure became too much, and you know, with these things again, as we'll touch on the, I'll handle the technical stuff. You'll handle the. This is what people were saying about it, <laughs> <laughs> because it took on a life of its own, in so much as it became. And an anachronism for so many different little elements of society 
today. I think. It's yeah, in a lot of ways, the worst. But uh, I think, you know, without treading over ground that the mass media has already like completely and totally trampled. Mm -hmm. uh, I think to a great degree, this had, uh, introduced the masses to the concepts of adventure tourism and mm -hmm. extreme tourism. I think this would definitely fall under the category of extreme tourism. Totally. But uh, just to qualify the whole concept, uh, according to the market research firm Grandview Research, uh, adventure tourism, and yeah, air quotes, uh, is expected to generate approximately $1 trillion in revenue by the year 2030. Uh, that's up from $316 billion this year. Mm -hmm. uh, it's obviously something that's taking off. Um, really, it's all about uh, adrenaline junkie shit, quite right. honestly. And, well, it's uh, the evolution of the adrenaline junkie shit. Yeah. Oh, completely. And taking it to an extreme. Um, and it's kind of indicative, I think, uh, the cottage industries that are rising up courtesy of this, this extremism and this adventurism. Mm -hmm. um, emergency and rescue operations. What does that tell you <laughs> right there? Uh, for an annual fee, you know, ranging anywhere from $300 to $1,800 a month, these companies with names like uh, Global Rescue, uh, MedJet, and SkyMed... <laughs> SkyMed... Yeah. Uh, will provide you with evacuation services and emergency extractions uh, from dangerous locations uh, like war zones around the world mm -hmm. that this adventure tourism and extreme tourism apparently takes place. Um, if we're talking adventure tourism, just adventure tourism, we're talking about uh, hiking, mountain climbing, mountain biking, for example, kayaking perhaps, maybe a little dog sledding. Sure. Um, if you're talking extreme tourism, we're talking about Chernobyl tours. Uh, we're talking about uh, the death row tour in Bolivia. Uh, <laughs> the green zone tours now taking place in uh, Iraq. And, of course, the Cave of Swallows. I believe it's called the Cave of Swallows in Mexico. So, yes, maybe, you know, well, for a, a fee, of, you might of Swallows need... doesn't sound too bad. Well, I mean... They if do you mean swallows the bird, right? Not swallow your soul in an I, abyss? I, I think that's entirely possible. Because that's I a hell of a marketing tagline right there. Yeah. yeah. And it, it actually attracts people. <laughs> you know, that's the pitch. Cave of swallows, you might need emergency extraction. Yeah. Yeah, you had me at cave. Going <laughs> <laughs> to hard pass on that. Now, the green zone sounds interesting, provided I, I too, am heavily armed. And like don't forget everyone the duck. else there. Yeah, right. no doubt. And... Uh, what was the uh, first one? Oh, the Chernobyl. Yes, the Chernobyl well, now, tours. I think they made several B-level horror movies about that already. One or two. Because, yeah, there's, yeah. <laughs> God's having you a field say day in Chernobyl right now. Radiation poisoning? <laughs> I knew you could. And yes, folks, those are fast zombies, not slow ones. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy that, like I said, this, this whole episode, if you will, mm -hmm. uh, has kind of exposed people to this whole concept of right. extreme tourism. And thank you for bringing that to light. So we can establish that extreme tourism, it's a thing. Yeah. So who are we to poo-poo on these, well, just happening to be well-to-do individuals? You know, morons. <laughs> Uh, you know, going for the weird flex and saying, well, this is, this is on my, my bucket list. Yeah, well, obviously it does... A you know, primarily appeal or, or is marketed to uh, well-to-do individuals, as you yeah. so appropriately put it. 
uh, given that seats on the Titan were going for a quarter of a million dollars a piece. Boom, Sherlock Lock. Yeah, uh, that's <laughs> $250,000 a piece, folks, for those who don't do the math. First creepy parallel of the day. Yeah. Didn't you say something to the effect that, you know, if you equate that to $1912, it's about the same as a first class uh, ticket on the Titanic and yeah, a maiden voyage? Yeah, that's, that's something we were talking Weird. about. Pretty sure. Why is it that anything and everything that is even remotely associated with the Titanic uh-huh. completely blows up in the media? We're going to tear down the fourth wall, folks. Wait for it. Mm, you know, I mean, you know, we were talking about the uh, the James Cameron flick, Titanic. Mm-hmm. Everybody knew how that film was going to end, yeah. and yet still it broke box office records around the world. Right. What is that? What is it about the Titanic that appeals to people? Well, what do you I, think, I'm John? glad you asked. Well, I, I guess we could, we could hit that in two parts. All What's right. so appealing about the actual story, you know, the beginning of, of everything and the sinking. You yeah. got that. Then you've got this this restless pursuit that's been going on for 80, 90 years to go back down there and, and, and check this thing out. Yeah. Well, on the first half, <laughs> my view is different than most people, and I am not one to shy away in movies from uh, pomp and drama. And, sure. And the, the, what was, how did I phrase it the other day? The nobility of a fine death. Yeah. Right? Yeah. These are things that appeal in a lot of old-timey war movies. Yeah. And they're things that, that romanticize otherwise horrific events. Yeah, okay? no, doubt, no Like doubt. when they talk about World War I, they focus on, um, on the fighter pilots romancing the young French farm girl not the dysentery and the decomposing bodies in the trenches. Yeah, not to okay? mention the chemical warfare right. you know, on the front lines. And so whatnot. on the Titanic, they focus on this ginormous ship. God himself couldn't sink her. And mm. everybody throwing confetti and the well-to-do with the top hats yeah. and the big butt dresses, whatever they well, were Well, apparently called. God disagreed. Oh, God was pissed that day, my it friend. It would seem. So. Talk about some morbid shit, too. I mean, like, 1,500 people died that day. That's the thing. And not just 1,500 people a third of the, the, the passenger manifest was locked up in steerage, basically, <laughs> and weren't even allowed to scurry up to, to see the sunlight. Right. You know, these are things that, again, they were romanticized yeah. in the James Cameron movie. Yeah. But if you look at it, it's kind of like, oh, where are you staying? Steerage? Pretty sure you weren't going to get a good night's sleep that entire trip. I'm no. sure the food wasn't too bitter. Yeah. Probably not. You were so, down there with the rats. Exactly. Yeah. Down with the rats. Nobody really cares about your safety or well-being. So, again, that's the original journey. So, right. me personally, although I love the stories about, you know, the band played on and the nobility of the crew members, you know, right. women and children first. Sure. You know damn well that yeah, was, was not yeah. what happened it then. It was a complete and total shit show when it registered with everybody that the ship right. was going down. And I believe there was a quote from the Joker in uh, The Dark Knight. Yeah. Yep. And you see, in there... Last moments, people show you who they really are. That's the one. <laughs> you don't really know people until like the shit hits the fan. Okay, yeah. so again, not not a not a joyous moment. It's not exactly a noble death. No, well, like we were talking about, extreme tragedy or just tragedy in general always seems to bring out both the best and the worst in people. Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of what unfolded, and this is an area that actually you and I were in agreement with. Uh, over the course of the last week, was a good example of the worst of everything in the world right now. Um, we had uh, the stepson of one of the multimillionaire mm-hmm. uh, 
I don't even know what to call them, victims yeah. that went down with the ship, so to speak, you know, uh, pleading online for prayers and then going to a Blink-182 show, I think it was, yeah. which prompted some dingbat named Cardi B to, uh, to cancel this clown. Right. Uh, like, I give a shit, like anybody should. Uh, we had the right um, accusing the left of causing the ship to go down because apparently the owner had a very woke... Uh, criteria for hiring people. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the left countered with blaming the right for the ship going down because this same guy who was at the wheel, so to speak, it was a little, like, video game Xbox controller. controller. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was, yes. Um, because he gave money to In GOP. In case of emergency, up, 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 up. Yeah. Cheat code. Yeah. Apparently, he gave money to GOP political candidates. So, bam, obviously, that's what contributed to the disaster. Yeah. And, of course, we had the anti-rich crew out there, the, uh, the Drown the Rich Posse, I believe is what mm -hmm. they were called, saying that, of course, everybody on the boat, des or boat, everybody in the tube deserved it because, of course, they committed the unpardonable sin of being rich. Right. And, uh, and I don't even want to, like, begin to go off on how disgusted I am with TikTok, even more disgusted than I normally am with TikTok, which, as you know, is an extreme, because the uh, the bad taste memes uh -huh. uh, that originated oh, yeah. from all of this, the creators, which is a bullshit term to say the least, uh, trying to create something out of this to generate more followers. Right. Right. And just, you know, again, tragedy bringing out the best and worst. Well, let me, in this let me case, the worst. Off a piece of the cookie right there. Run with it, Johnny. The second part of this now is these people who, for whatever reason, are just uh, entranced by the romanticism of this hulk of rotting metal at the bottom of the sea. Yeah, okay? have you seen the pictures of it from down right. there? And I'll it's just, it's, it's irony that the thing is dissolving at an alarming rate because of all the jostling and poking and whatnot. Yeah. And when you break it down, you know, I equate this basically to a bunch of rubberneckers, okay? Yeah, very it's much the same so. people that don't watch NASCAR for the races, they're watched for the crashes. Yep. So I don't see the... Ah, the, the the romance, the sense of exploration. Yeah. To go down and see this rotting hulk, you're you're rubbernecking. There's there's something innately ghoulish about wanting to go down and see the shipwreck. Yeah. Newsflash, folks, there's no bodies, okay? And like I said to you, one of the things that, that really irked the shit out of me this week yeah. is when the DOD spokesman is now giving a, a recap after they found the debris on the ocean floor. Yep. Because of the way it was being filmed, I think it was outdoors and whatnot, he had stated that he needed to repeat each question from the press corps yeah. right there to them. Indeed. And you know, rephrase it so everybody could hear it. So the, the first question Ugh. was a bit innocuous, just kind of, you know, well, you know how, how far apart was the debris field and this and that. Yeah. And then, of course, right? And I don't know. I'm just going to say it was probably somebody from MSNBC <laughs> or maybe the Alec Baldwin <laughs> podcast who came out and said, Nice. Uh, uh, are, are you going to find any bodies? You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. Yeah. And so this poor spokesman, probably his first time out, just got the job as, you know, spokesman of the DOD or the, the Coast Guard, I think it was. Yep. Says, well, okay, I have to repeat this question because, you know, this, and he just, he just didn't want to do it. He wanted to say, look, you, you morbid. Mm. Yeah. 
you know, any, any one of these passengers has now been squished down into the size of your thumbnail, okay? Yeah. There's no body. There's no debris. There's like nothing else. They're gone. The only saving grace is that they felt nothing. That is the one thing um, that everybody's in agreement with. And I yeah. read the stats on how quickly that decompression will, will happen. Instantaneous. And, and literally, if it's at, I, I think, 25 milliseconds, they said the earliest brain response to any stimuli is 155 milliseconds. So it's like, yeah, you never, you're going to know what's happening. But all through the week, it's like, and, and I hate to be whatever people are going to call me now, a boomer, maudlin, yeah. overly sentimental, but five people died regardless, okay? Yeah. And these weren't five people that I'm aware of yet, but give the news media a full cycle. Right. They were running around poking people with sticks and kicking puppies, all right? Yeah. They're dead. They died a horrible death. They weren't bothering anybody. But all you seem to find now, like on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok, yeah. is, is, is comedy shit. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, being the kind of person that still really doesn't approve of 9-11 jokes or anything like that, yeah. maybe it's just our age. I don't know. I don't, I don't see the joy in, in other people's misery anymore. No. But you, you see that and you're just like, Ugh. Well, again, you know, you give, them, you give them a stage, you give them a microphone, you give them an right. opportunity... Unfortunately, you're going to see the worst of people. I mean, could you conjure up a dumber, more ill-informed question than that? Right. You, you, you know? can't. You can't. I mean, but you how knew somebody was going to ask it. Yeah. You knew it. How, how, <laughs> how deep do you have to dig to come up with something more stupid than that question? Right. You know, and the poor bastard that had to repeat it, you know, he's just trying to get through the day. Right. You know? He's like, oh, man, I, I thought I was going to get to launch a ship for my first press conference. Instead, I get this. <laughs> and the, the Admiral's probably in the back, good luck, rookie. You know, yeah. wait for the dead body question. And boom, there it is, right out of the gate. Yeah. So, again, you know, we get the gamut. We get, you know, the best of people, you know, the people that were working all week on the rescue operations. And then you get the worst of it, this fucknod mm-hmm. right there. That's my F-bomb for the day, folks. F-bomb for the day. <laughs> <laughs> and then, I mean, here we go. Here's, like... The, uh, the, the coup de grace, in my opinion, that, that comes the day of them finding the wreckage. Right. Apparently, and I'm not so sure they wanted this to be common knowledge, okay. but apparently we've got a uh, fantastic sensor array, audio sensor array underwater, right. lining both coasts of this country <laughs> that was set up during I, the Cold War. I know what you're referring to. To listen for approaching rudders, I mean, water pumps, conversations on a subject. That's how sensitive this is. Yeah. And uh, the folks manning these listening posts heard the crunch, for lack of a better phrase, um, several hours after the Titan went into the water. Yeah. And they're fairly certain that this was the well, end. It, it, yeah, it coincided with the uh, loss of communication. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yeah, they kind of knew at that point in time what had happened. Right. But they had to, de- to find the debris field before they could qualify it. And like you just said, I mean, they, they had to know. They don't yeah. want to come out willy-nilly and say, well, guess what? All right, then. Keep your secrets. But we went through this, this drama. That only, you know, only one hour left. One day left of air. And, 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 and with each day, it got more intense. And, and people were just jumping on. The story oh, it was, was soap capturing opera the imagination. Shit. It was serious soap opera shit. When yeah. in reality, you know, the powers that be already knew what kind of what, yeah, what happened. It was already balling you know? over. Yeah. And my point is, yeah, not for nothing. 
And apparently they did tell the, the people that were on the research vessels there at the recovery site what they had heard and what they thought. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I think they could have let that out in a news cycle. I mean, if they're grasping at straws and saying, well, we hear banging, at that point, it's kind of like you're going to let them keep talking about this banging and let the, let the world at large, including the families, mind you, hold out hope against hope that this clanging is them trying to send Morse code well, or something? I don't know if even in the situation of the guys in the know and, you know, the guys that were with the Navy and the Coast Guard who kind of, I don't know, are familiar with this kind of scenario, could have anticipated the media reaction to this mm-hmm. and the way the whole world dialed in on this. I mean, who could have who called that? You know, I mean, we're not talking mass It wasn't casu- exactly a slow news week either. No, it most definitely wasn't, <laughs> given what's going on in, you know, the Ukraine in particular. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, who could have called this? I mean, the, the, the romanticism of anything and everything that has anything to do with the Titanic, yep. I mean, to this day still mystifies me. I, I'm just one of those people that we I just don't, don't get it. I don't yeah. get it. You know? And I said to you, you know, movie file nerd that I am, uh, Monday, right after the story broke, I'm like, yeah. hey, did you ever see Raise the Titanic? <laughs> Which, for those who haven't, uh, kind of a blockbuster flop from 1980, yeah. Raise the Titanic. Yeah, I vaguely remember it. And it's, um, you know, long story short, they have to raise the Titanic because there's supposedly a valuable mineral in there for natural defense. Right. And uh, depicted in this, as they're trying to arrange for the raising of this vessel, one of the subs, just like this one at the exact same depth that they were talking about yeah. of the Titanic being at crushed like an egg after a leak. Yeah. So you saw it play out exactly what happened. Right. And I said to you, I'm like, Mike, that's what happened. Yeah. And he probably said something erudite, like, well, let's just let it play out, John. Maybe, maybe they're still there. And, but no, like, I probably point, said I like, something nope. like, I don't understand why anybody cares about this. Well, that too. But I'm yeah. like, no, you need to care because <laughs> it's our topic this week. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, <laughs> boop, he cared. Right. It can happen that fast, folks. It can happen that fast. So, I, I mean, it's, you know, this is the story, and we're not telling anybody anything that they don't already know. Yeah. It's been through the news cycle. So I guess what, you know, concerns us, like you alluded to in the very beginning of the piece, yeah. is this extreme tourism aspect, the cottage industries that are now popping up around it. Yeah. Because obviously, who knows how many millions of dollars this search and rescue operation costs. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. And it, it, it is fascinating to me, and I think I can understand the parallels and the connection and the formula, but like, the more safe mainstream life becomes, the more popular this extreme shit becomes. Right. You know, because like in days gone by, you know, America was all about, you know, exploring the frontier and you know, all the risks that were associated with that. And, uh, you know, as we make, like I said, as we make things more and more safe, mm-hmm. these things that are extremely dangerous and in some cases really, really dumb, you know, become more and more appealing, particularly to people who have the money to blow, you know, a quarter of a million dollars on what is essentially, what, a a 10-hour excursion? It was two Mm -hmm. and a half down, two and a half back. They managed to stretch it into a week of activities. Yeah. You know, whatever they got them doing on there. Yeah, And, and not to play the populist card, but screw it, I'll do it anyway. What a a whole lot of people could do with a quarter million dollars. Let's not even think about yeah, it. Yeah, you, you know, know, pay the rent for X amount of time, blah, blah, blah. But if you, if you want to, you know, shift the focus on, on a positive aspect of this, maybe 
just maybe, it will reignite um, something that I've, I've long been an advocate for, which is exploring the oceans. On the surface, there is hunger and fear. Men still exercise unjust laws. They fight and tear one another to pieces. A mere few feet beneath the waves, their rain ceases, their even drowns. Here on the ocean floor is the only independence. Here I am free. Before we're casting our gaze outward and to other right. planets. Yeah. Because this is proof positive of again of this completely foreign environment. It's right here, okay? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's so much to find and explore. And I, I had seen a, a graphic where they laid out um, the different depths. And along the way, it was things that are on the surface that would get compared. Right. You know, like, here's the Chrysler building. Well, here's how deep it is in the ocean. So on and so forth. Oh, yeah. And when they got down to where the Titanic is, 12,000 some odd feet down Two and below, a half miles down. That's the halfway point. And they're already gauging that certain areas of the Marianas Trench are now double that. Right. All right, down to the Earth's crust. This is what they've definitively mapped, okay? Yeah. Doesn't mean they've been there, but through sonar, they know where the bottom is. Oh, yeah. God knows what's in there. Well, do you remember growing up, like, Sea Lab 2020 mm -hmm. and that stuff? Yep. I mean, that was fascinating shit, man. That and it's was still really a lot to be to that. I mean, we grew up watching not just Mutual of Omaha, <laughs> but Jacques Cousteau. <laughs> yes. Who... Had such a unique way of of just showing people the wonders that are just below the surface there. Sure. Let alone all the way down there. Yeah. But it was his drive that helped, you know, invent these things like the modern bathysphere and these little subs and scuba equipment yeah. right off the top. Yeah. We need we need more of that. I mean, because to me, look, that's that's adventure and it's right at your doorstep. Oh sure. You don't and need I'm, to go inventing it. I'm gonna play the house uh, crunchy granola liberal card right here now. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, maybe if we understood and appreciated what was going on, we'd stop dumping shit into it. You think? You know? I mean, I, I you know... Message! Being from the East Coast and going out to Southern California, I, of course, had to get into the whole surfing thing. And to this day, I'm still shocked at some of the shit that I saw floating by yeah. when I was sitting, you know, out on my board waiting for the next, next swell. Yep. You know, maybe we'll appreciate some of that stuff more if we understood it better than we do, mm. you know? I mean, isn't there, like, uh, 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 an island of shit out there the size of Connecticut floating yep. around the ocean? Yep. Sure you is. Know? Let's go explore that. Yeah. And how about get rid of it? Yeah, that's <laughs> an idea. <laughs> well, that's that for that, folks. You know, the story, it's out there. It's pretty much ended, but there's going to be shockwaves. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. No. And there will be a sequel. Oh, yeah. There will be a sequel. There's going to be so much litigation now, oh, regardless. Lord. Here come the lawsuits. And, and again, it's just, you know, take this as a, as a little snippet, because no, we're not going to get preachy, but I just got to say, you know, public at large this time, you, you kind of let me down. And this is a guy with gallows humor as the day is long. <laughs> Public I can testify bars. to that. I can. Let me down with your, your pettiness. and Yeah, there was a lot of disgusting shit that went on over the last week. Yeah. Yeah, we can do better. We can do better. Exactly. Mm. And I'll tell you how we're going to do better. We're going to start off with a jam. And a jam. Sounds and a like jammy a jam. A jam and a jam. And yes, folks, these were so hard to do this week. <laughs> it was crazy. When I first told him about the topics, I'm like, dude, all we need is gems that oh, talk about God. water, boats, death. They, they got to be lining up. You would think. You would think. 
So what do we come up with for the middle jam, sir? Uh, you know, I, I got to say, I'm, I'm down with the flow of this. All right. Kind of, that was a really bad pun. Real bad, but I'm sorry let, about let it that. slide. <laughs> but uh, once again, I am... You're I am, out of your depth, sir. I am... <laughs> see? See? So easy keep this? on coming. Ugh. They just keep on coming, folks. Uh, I am... I am Really, really uh, stoked at the liberal nature of Johnny. Not one of his favorite bands on this one, but uh, but he was open to reason uh-huh. and uh, and saw the appropriateness of this. Um, so, yeah, we're gonna go with this. This is a song by the band Green Day. This is called Warning. Indeed, it is. And yeah, for real, not one of my favorites. Valley Baldwin fronted a band. <laughs> for me, it would be Green Day. But no, it works, and they're good, and I kid. So here we go. We'll be right back after this tune with some more things and stuff. This is a public service announcement. This is only a test. Authority, born in love without. 
appropriate was that? <laughs> Pretty damn appropriate. I, I can't hate on it. No, no. Um, that, of course, was uh, Green Day doing Warning, which is the title track to the band's 2000 album of the same. Do you remember the year 2000? Barely. It seems like yesterday and a it million was like, years ago yeah, at the same time. Yeah, modern and yet antique. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Very well put, Johnny. But, uh, yeah, obvious the reason why we uh, busted that particular gem coming off of our first segment. If you watch the video, it's about this kid that, like, obliviously goes through life ignoring all the warnings. And everything is, like, completely blowing up and going to shit right behind him, you know. And, unfortunately, yeah, that we are attributing to, you know, in the case of the Titan, there Mm -hmm. are a million and a half warnings and a million and a half red flags saying, look out. And they actually got, what, 28? Uh, I think excursions down well, a few more than that, like forty something. Was it that yeah, many? Yeah, they had that many under their belt. Yeah, down to the Titanic. Yeah, but you can say it's one of those classic. You know, just because you could doesn't mean, mean you, you should. should. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, it, you know, tempting fate. Mm. I don't know. My personal opinion: you tempt fate enough times, fate will eventually rise up and kick you right in the fate face. Fate is a son of a bitch. Yeah, yeah. and God has a sense of humor. Yeah, and a very, very obscene one, I must say. (laughs) They were smote. (laughs) So, yeah, good fun on that, and very appropriate to both the first and, I think, the second topic of today, our our subtopic. Now, the the subtopic today, we kind of, like, whoo, take our hands off the handlebars a little bit, start to relax. Let's have a little fun. Right, but we were still, uh, you know, in awe of nature's fury, if you want to word it that way. Indeed. And uh, we said to ourselves, even though we just did uh, a Jaws segment last show, <laughs> we're still feeling a bit nautical. I'm still not going back in the water. I'm not still doing not it. going back in the water. No, <laughs> because that again would be tempting fate. It's exactly. like I just did an episode about sharks, and this idiot went swimming, and yep. look what happened. So instead uh, of, of you know sharks in particular, we started talking about movies, and there's so many really really good movies out there. That capture the, I don't know how you want to call it, the, the majesty of the sea. Yeah, the romance of the sea. The romance of the sea. Yeah, the impending danger of the sea. It's a literary icon. Man versus the elements yeah, kind of totally, thing. Totally, totally. There's, there's just so many different... The sea was angry that day, my friends. <laughs> examples of it, uh, yeah. both in literature and in film. Indeed. Um, you know, it's something that it just, you know, is intertwined with our life. Yeah, and especially, like you just mentioned, in, in literature alone, I mean, it's so easy to equate the sea and its fury and the unknown and all this yeah. with, with our understanding of God. Here's where I go real deep, folks. Oh, my goodness. But if you think about it, there are <laughs> parallels, you know, and, and throughout time, man is taught to appease the sea with, right. with sacrifice and whatnot. Yeah. And then yield the bounty, the life giving the fish, the water, everything else from the sea. Oh yeah. It's a very um highfalutin concept, man's yeah. relationship to the water. Well again, with literature, you know, we we constantly uh challenge Mother Nature and we constantly get our asses kicked, courtesy of Mother right. Nature. Yeah, I mean there's certain things once you involve the ocean in the book or the movie or whatever, it's like John has a nemesis, and he's <laughs> one cubicle over by the water cooler. That's yep. only going to go so far. Oh, yeah. You challenge the sea, but you will lose. you put John and the guy in the cubicle next to him on a sailboat in dead seas. All kinds of shit's going to happen. Yep. You don't know what's going to yep. happen, you know? So and I will... I 
feel the need to footnote that it's not always tragic. I mean, there's definitely some romantic. Well, yeah. (laughs) Almost always. What's the last good thing that happened on the water? That's a good question. Thank you. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) So anyway, we came up with one of our good old tried and true top threes. In this case, uh, do we even phrase it in a particular way? I think so. Seaborn? Seafaring? Top three seaborn movies. Yeah. Movies involving the ocean and fair enough. Yeah, swallowing up uh, whoever and whatever. Right. Yeah, right. Let's not drown ourselves in minutia. <laughs> Let's go right along with it. Nice, drown yeah. ourselves in minutia. Now I, like I know, uh, as as is normal, you've yep. got uh, several, <laughs> sometimes many, but today several honorable honorable mentions. mentions. Yes, yes, ladies and gentlemen, he cannot do a top three to save himself. I can't. I really thank can't. God you never that's, had four kids because you would be screwed. This is true. This is true. <laughs> that's that accusation is accurate, painfully accurate. But uh, yeah, you know, it's like okay, narrow it down to three. Oh my God, it's yeah. very very difficult. Um, but yeah, as far as honorable mentions of the films we're talking about, All like, right. first one I could think of was the Bedford incident from 1965. It was the typical Cold War film uh, involving you know paranoia and concern. Sidney Poitier, Richard Widmark, mm-hmm. um, the fateful line, you know, if they fire one, I'll fire one, and the stupid bastard sitting at the you know controls going, okay, fire one, and just like killing, the black. Yep. killing everybody. <laughs> Uh, and I have to also mention uh, one of those films that, uh, you know, in the intro, they were like, you know, according to official records, this never happened. Of course. Yep. Uh, and I'm talking about the 1995 film Crimson Tide. Excellent film. Uh, yeah, with Gene Hadwin, Denzel Washington. Mm-hmm. I mean, we could have narrowed this down to just sub-films, you know, sure. films involving submarines, and you could get a long list of them. Absolutely. Uh, last but certainly not least... And we went back and forth as to whether this qualifies as a seafaring film, but I'm, of course, talking about The Fog, mm-hmm. uh, both the 1980 and 2005 versions, because it did involve a boat right. and pirates and, you know, shady shit going on yeah. with, you know, the folks at the, you know, in the village on land and, like, people dying and the, the ghost of the pirates coming back. Right. And that's like... Now, if true to li- form, I like the original better than the remake. Yeah, I kind of do, you know. too. It was a John Carpenter film. Right. And uh, has all the aspects of John Carpenter films, yeah. the suspense and whatnot. I think Jamie Lee Curtis was in the original. Yeah. As was Barbeau Adrian and, yeah. Barbeau, you know, legendary beauty of that time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, yeah, just the idea, um, if you're from New England... You know, that just so encapsulates your oh, yeah. existence. Yeah. You know, the lighthouse and the fog coming yep. in and, like, dastardly, like, haunted shit coming mm-hmm. out of the fog. And it, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. I think I had mentioned on the show once before that, you know, being from New Jersey, I just had certain impressions of New England Yeah, from, you know, film and TV and whatnot. Sure. And, of course, literature. Yeah. And it was amazing that, some of our most famous early American writers yeah. all fixated on on horror and the macabre. Second time this week, we got to use that. Right, right. Um, and I was like, is it really like that up there? Because when you look at New England during the day, bright, shiny lighthouses, yep. um, old farm homes, things like that. A lot of all the little brick walls around everybody's property. Yep. But when night comes... <laughs> Sometimes, that is better. When the sun goes down. Right. And my first tip-off, I was driving down the road one night, and a, a what do they call it, a group of bats? 
That's a good question. It, it does have a name. Let's call it a swarm, even though it's not it. A swarm of literally comes yeah. flying out of a belfry of an old church on the side <laughs> of the road, and I'm like, oh my, that's a bit creepy. <laughs> and then I sat through my first like New England thunderstorm. Oh, there we go. I would sit at at a, at a typewriter and write some scary shit too. Hell yeah! I don't know what it is. The lightning is sideways up here. It never comes straight down. Oh, yeah. We are it's not, louder. Yeah, we're not <laughs> short of churches in New England, and we're not short of creepy abandoned farmhouses. Exactly. Where you drive by and you could be like, yeah, I think vampires could live there. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And, of course, back to the aforementioned fog. Yeah. You get fog on the ocean. You got fog in the land. I leave my house every day to go to my real job. Yeah. 7 a.m., sun's up, it's foggy. <laughs> they say the fucking smog is the fucking reason you have such beautiful fucking sunsets. <laughs> and I'm driving, I'm like, this, this, this is not right. Yeah. Little little pockets of, of, of fog. Oh, yeah. It's and it's creepy weird. as hell. Right. But you can see, especially early ignorant folk, they would be scared by everything. Yep. Well, welcome to Funland, because <laughs> New England, you know, like I said, once it gets a little dark, this place is so creepy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Pardon me. Yeah, see? Um, but yeah, getting back to our, our, our topic of discussion. Yes, yes. Seaborne movies. Your number three. Um, my number three, and, and again, like we were saying, we could just like do submarine films. Mm-hmm. There's something about the claustrophobia of a sub yeah. that just lends itself to good filmmaking. But uh, I first and foremost, top thought, U571, mm-hmm. uh, the year 2000 film starring uh, Matthew McConaughey. And yes, I kind of enjoyed the fact that John Bon Jovi pretty much got decapitated by an exploding like part from a sub. You know, this was year two thousand. I was still a musician in L.A. Still oh, had dude, I'm from Jersey. I never liked him, so don't no well, need to apologize. Yeah. But uh, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely epic stuff. Um, just the tension. Yeah. You know, World War II, the Nazi, you know, ship. Blah blah yeah. blah. Even though they took massive liberties yes, with they the did. actual. Story, of course, they did. Which, of course, the Brits they're good for this. <laughs> the, the one momentous thing they did in World War II, right? Yeah, they had to come in and be like, Oh, excuse me, Governor, this is how it really happened. Yeah, and yeah, yeah so we, we, we did that. Sorry, but yeah, good fun, good fun. <laughs> Another tour de force from Matthew McConaughey. That was my yeah. number three. That's an excellent choice. Well hey, done, thank you. Uh, well, my I reference my list here yes, without you do. My, my spectacles. What do you got, John? Well, okay, my number three. It's going to be one of those um, movies that's been done and done and done. I believe all told four versions. I might okay. be mistaken. All right. Uh, this was the classic tale of Mutiny on the Bounty. Oh, yes. Simply entitled The Bounty, uh, with Sir Anthony Hopkins playing Captain William Bly. Nice. And a young Mel Gibson as Fletcher Christian. A very young Mel Gibson. Very young Mel Gibson. Yeah. And. I mean, wow, it's, uh, it reeks of 80s in so much as the music was done by, I believe, Vangelis. Okay. Which yep. was a European outfit. I think they also did Chariots of Fire, but yep. Yep. it was like that, that Michael Mann build where the music was part of like, sure. the experience, you sure. know? So you had that you, going on. If you need someone to chew up scenery, though, Sir Anthony Hopkins is your man. And like I had said to you earlier, his, he. He's the reason to watch the movie. It's not yeah. for Mel Gibson. It's not for a very young, possibly first or second role, Liam Neeson, playing yes, one of I the decades. That. Yep, yep. Um, and ironically, the guy that would play the captain of the Titanic in Cameron's version was a decade. He was the first ah. officer on the bounty, right? All right. But um, yes, his, 
there's a confrontation scene between him and Mel Gibson when the men are about to revolt. Yeah. And Mel Gibson, because the way they tell this version, they were friends, Fletcher Christian and William Bly, just right. like the book. Yep. Close friends until they weren't. And he's like, he's like trying to implore them. He's like, please, just, just be reasonable. Yep. The manner, he's like, oh, oh, there's rumblings on there. Yeah. And the beads of sweat rolling off his face. Yep. You feel like you're in this nasty little cabin on this nasty little ship. I don't think the men will have it. Oh, the men won't have it. Are they in charge of the bounty? They might be, if you insist. Again, would you repeat that, please? The men might be in charge. What are you threatening me with? It's not a threat. It's a warning. Oh, there are rumblings, are there? No. There is fear. Oh, yeah. Over in Tahiti. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, literal tour de force. And yes, there are scenes where they're fighting the elements and the storms and all that. And yep. sometimes, you know, bad encounters with natives and they killed crew members. And, right. But it's just that the claustrophobic nature of yeah. being at a ship. Oh, yeah. You know? And it's kind of unfortunate that, like, Controversy off screen took away from the fact that Mel Gibson, you know, particularly his his younger years, he was a pretty impressive actor. Yeah, he you held know? movies together. Yes, he you did. know, he did it with the first two Mad Max films. He did it in a little known war movie, uh, actually two. Like his first role was in a war movie called Gallipoli. Yes, with a tragic Australian defeat. Yep. Um, but then he also did one, Task Force X, I think it was, with him and uh, a young Sam Neill. Okay. Where they play commandos, and it's just a really good. In the vein of like Force Ten from Navarone, right. and, you know that where Eagles Dare that kind of sure, level, sure. but really well done. I mean, yeah, he he was an excellent actor back in the day, but he's a victim of his own phobes, as he would say. Yeah, self-professed anglophobe, yeah. and he's he's a victim of that cruising down PCH in the middle of the night when you're drunk yeah. off your ass, and the sheriff's department <laughs> happens to stumble across you, and you say stupid shit on camera. But yep. Anyway, Anywho. moving right along. Yes, sir. Number two. Uh, my number two choice, and this was difficult because my number one choice, but uh, uh, kind of actually ties into our main topic. Uh, my number two choice is the director's cut of The Abyss. The director's cut. Look the at him, folks. Cut. Yes. Which is, of course, <laughs> a James Cameron tour de force. And James Cameron, you know, was very groundbreaking uh, with underseas, mm-hmm. um, like deep water. Uh, ROVs and whatnot. He actually got very, very into that uh, during the filming and after the filming of the Abyss, uh, up to and including, of course, you know, stuff that like went down and took pictures of the Titanic and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I went with the director's cut um, because, being again the crunchy granola representative here, <laughs> um, you know, it had the big message, you know, as far as like aliens and the nuclear weapon mm-hmm. and like how we are our own worst enemies and whatnot. The theatrical version, uh, which was, I think they cut like 30 minutes out of the director's cut, it's obvious why they did it, you know, mm-hmm. for uh, broader, you know, cinematic considerations and whatnot. But you really got to get into the director's cut because like I said, that was the one with the message. Right. You know, and granted, the end kind of stumbled a little bit heavy-handed. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, you know, one of those classic examples of the build-up and the punch not quite yeah. getting it, little, little awkward, kind of, sort of. But still, if you're idealistic, mm-hmm. you know, and you apply that, you know, sense of disbelief, uh, it works, right. you know. And yeah, just so many great scenes mm-hmm. uh, in that. And of course, it features Ed Harris, mm-hmm. uh, Big Mary fan. Elizabeth, uh, Master Antonio, yep. 
uh, Ed Harris beating the living shit out of Mary Elizabeth Mastro Antonio. Mm -hmm. And, of course, Michael Bine, who's been in every James Cameron flick, right. uh, like completely epitomizing the completely psychotic Marine. The crazy I, man's Harrison Ford. Exactly. And I think you and I were talking about every James Cameron film the Marines get their shit kicked out of them. I think a Marine must have stolen his girl I somewhere so. way back. Because, yeah, it's like they're the bad guys in the Avatar movies. Yep. He gets them wiped out in Aliens, yep. you know. Yep. And yep. if I remember correctly, there was another movie he had with, with Marines or soldiers or something. The same thing happens. It's like, yeah, he's, he's got an axe to grind. It's a reoccurring theme. It is. It is. <laughs> so anyway, over to you, Johnny. All right, then my number two. Yes. Uh, indulgent film from my childhood <laughs> Which still gets a lot of play in the streaming services. Okay. The Final Countdown. Oh, yes. And okay, there's a little a classic. Ditty. Yeah, about the uh, USS Nimitz back when it was new. Right. That's dating it. Yeah. And it gets uh, zapped back to a day or two before the attack on Pearl Harbor. What if? What if, right? That's the whole basic thing. It's got a nice little time-twisty ending. Yeah. has a young Martin Sheen in it and old Kirk Douglas, James yeah. Farentino. So it was good, you know. Um, however, <laughs> it doesn't age well. Yeah. Because now when you watch it, it's a, a lot of recycled footage. Um, and it's kind of almost a, a precursory attempt at a recruiting film in so much as Top Gun right. was a recruiting right, film right, for right, the Navy right. yeah. and naval aviation. Yeah. And even the soundtrack from the movie, which is very well done, right. they feature in nautical museums. I think they play it at the USS Intrepid Museum in New York. Yeah. So it's really tied into the actual U.S. Navy. Right. And of course, if you follow the movie at the end, you don't get the payoff that we all want, you know? Right. Well, if I remember correctly, don't they like ask the question, if we could, right. should we? Yeah, and that's the, probably the most interesting aspect of the movie is that debate. Yeah. You know, but of course it, it opens up all these different, you know, time travel conundrums. Right. But if you, if you think about it, yeah, it's just like the Nimitz at that time with what it was carrying probably could have taken out the entire Japanese fleet. Holy shit. <laughs> it, introducing a, a, a nuclear aircraft carrier right. to Pearl Harbor in 1941. Oh, my God. Yep. Take care of the Japanese. Scoot on down. Park yourself off, uh, <laughs> you know, Germany or, or France. And, well, just have at it. That yeah. war would be over fairly quickly. Yeah. So it was a great, like I said, especially for a kid in love with military and, you know, yep. jet planes and everything. It was a great little movie. Yeah. Um, so that's my number two. Nice. Nice. And definitely a thought provoker. Yeah. So props to you, Johnny. Uh, my number one, um, after thinking about it for, like, all of about three seconds, this has always been my go-to seafaring film, uh, my sub-film, blah, blah, blah. Uh, this is the 1990 epic Hunt for Red October. A nice. absolute tour de force yep. for Sean Connery, you know, as Bramius, you know, the esteemed Russian subcaptain. Mm -hmm. You know, just the epitome of that character. The last good role uh, Alec Baldwin had. <laughs> well, it was obviously the first Jack Ryan film. Yes. And the only Jack Ryan film that Alec Baldwin got to play before. Somehow, Harrison Ford slipped in there and yanked it away from him. But, like, so many great moments, mm -hmm. you know, all throughout that film. And, again, you have the intro at the very beginning, um, you know. But according to everybody who's been asked, this didn't actually happen mm -hmm. or some shit like that. I'm right. paraphrasing. Yep. But, like, that just, it's thought-provoking. It makes you think, like, did this really happen? Well, because they had instances, and these movies came out after the success of Hunt for Red October. Yeah. Where, um, what was it, K-19, The Widowmaker, it was an actual 
Russian sub, again, yeah. more advanced than anything we had, maiden voyage. Boop. Sank. Yeah. You, know. you can attribute this <laughs> to the Cold War. Mm-hmm. You know, when everything was hush-hush and secret, and who the hell knows what really went on. Right. You know, you can, like, trace that, you know, mentality to films like the Russia House, for example, mm-hmm. where it was like, did this really happen? Is- well, I think they even say at the end, when James Earl Jones, I think, meets with someone, and it's yeah. like, you mean you lost another, another sub? sub <laughs> yeah. Andre, you've lost another submarine? Or, yeah, the James Earl Jones scene where they, they fake the blowing up of the sub, and he's like, mm-hmm. as he pulls out his ID being with the CIA, and he's like, and I was never here. Right. You know? As only James Earl Jones could do. <laughs> sure. You know? It's kind of like a hint of Darth Vader going, I was never here. Right. You know? Right. Yeah, but, yeah, just, just enough... epic in that respect. Just yeah, absolutely it's, epic. It's, got, it's, it's big scale is what it is. And oh, yeah. It's, it's big scale, much like... Um, Crimson Tide that you mentioned earlier, yep. Yep. it's it's modern, you know, and it gives you a sense of what the modern life on, on a submarine is like. It's no yeah. longer super cramped quarters with always a little bit of drizzle coming down like the World War II ones. Yeah, exactly. These are like little mini, fl- they're the same size as ships, if not bigger now, yep. especially the Soviet ones. Yep. So, yeah, you kind of take that massive claustrophobia out of it, but still, any submarine movie yeah. has the elements of fear in what we just saw this week catastrophic implosion oh, yeah. or just something goes wrong mm-hmm. there's a fire you what run out of oxygen what could potentially happen that deep right. if something goes wrong that's why they get hazard pay oh yeah and yep. you got like these epic ensemble casts mm-hmm. of just like these guys that are in the film for maybe five or ten minutes like Scott Glenn for example right. is, you know this this sub commander or whatever and just find like, me yeah, the most American guy you can <laughs> yeah, to be the captain exactly. of the Dallas, please. Yeah, most exactly. American you can find. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, just a, just a great film, full of great scenes, great writing, and yeah. just yeah, very very like edge of your seat, like suspenseful mm-hmm. stuff. Good stuff. Indeed. So. Good choice, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Well, what do you, Johnny? What do you got for your number one? Well, the uh, heaviest ahead that was must wear the crown. Indeed. My number one is no surprise, at least to you. <laughs> The Poseidon Adventure. Nice. And not the remake, not that claptrap. I'm talking the original. No. The Irwin Allen Disaster Fest. Hell yes. And uh, while I think of it, let's go back to the last episode we did where I misspoke and I said the famous water director was uh, Paul Vanderhoven. Okay. No, that was the guy that did Robocop. Yep. I was thinking of Wolfgang Peterson. Nice. Because he's the one that did Das Boot and all these like heavy-duty water movies. Yeah. Anyway, back to the current episode. <laughs> um... Wow, I mean, where do you start with the Poseidon Adventure? Gene Hackman, over the top. I mean, well, let's start with Lizzie Nielsen as the captain. Yes. Who was famous for saying, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so that's boom. Start out like that. And and any you movie, know. if you want to get the, the audience like, oh, I'm sorry, what? Uh, let me put down the raisinettes. Yeah. Kill off a major actor fairly early on. Right at, coming You've out got the their gate. attention, yep. right? Yep. So Leslie, boop, he's done. The ship overturns, and from here on... It's ridiculous if you let it be. Yeah. But if you buy into it... Suspension of disbelief. I mean, now you've got the menace of the ocean. Yeah. Explosions. This thing could go down at any time. Yeah. But, I mean, I would love to have been a fly in the wall when they're they're describing this to the studio heads. Oh, the pitch? Right. And they're like, get this. Everything is upside down. (laughs) So every set that we build... They climb the Christmas tree. Everything has to be bolted to the ceiling, because that's how it would be on a ship. And they're like, "Uh uh uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Who is this kid? Exactly. Hey, man, two words. Ernest Borgnine. Right. You took from me 
The only thing I ever loved in the whole world. My Linda. But, I mean, Done. think about the rest of the cast. Okay, <laughs> we got Grandpa Joe from Charlie the Chocolate Factory. Eddie, right. Al- not Eddie Albert. Yep. Uh, or is it Eddie Albert? No, it Eddie no. Albert. But yeah, I know you're talking, talking about. about. Yeah. Shelly Winters, which had been on the shelf for quite some time yes. at that point. Yes. Red Buttons. A bunch of no-name <laughs> kid actors, yes. right? Yes. yes, of course, Ernest Borgnine. <laughs> and it's just... I'm like, wow, how did they put that together? And a brilliant... Gene Hackman. Oh, I know. Toward and the just chewing up scenery and like. You want another life? Then take me! So completely overboard and so appropriate for the for the part of the right. preacher. Yep. You know, and what was it? What was the girl's name? She was uh, Linda. Sick. Yeah, Linda. Not Linda. I'm talking about the young what? girl. Oh, the young girl who was like Gaga over Gene Hackman's preacher character. Oh yeah, she's a little weird too. Yeah, I forget. She was in and like it was her the and her Nancy Drew mysteries or right. some shit like that. Right. But yeah, just like so many parts like that in like that era with disaster films. What was up with that? Look, in the '70s, you had yeah. disaster movies and you had Bible movies. Right. And the stars they were pushing themselves out of the way. To get into these, yeah, because it was like if you you were conspicuous by your absence if you weren't in them, yeah, if you, you know? weren't part of the ensemble cast, right? And you're right. I mean, the um, towering inferno. You remember that? The roll call, yeah. Uh, the airplane films, yes. You know, and I said to you, I would even give like a half a tip of hat to the sequel to the Poseidon Adventure. Only because they got Slim Pickens in there. I mean, <laughs> an American treasure. You and, and your antagonist is Telly Savalas. So I'm sorry. Does that scream 70s to Done. you? Done. Yeah. Slam but dunk. But the original is, is never to be redone. It is, it's, it's creepy. Um, it's just so over the top. And sad, because it's like a Pyrrhic victory, because you lose so many of the characters you start to get attached to along the way. Yeah. But they do live at the end. Thus... The really awkwardly placed soundtrack gem. Oh yeah, uh, the morning after. Oh god, the love theme from Poseidon Adventure. I know, and it, it was a chart-topping hit. Right, and it doesn't make sense until they blow era. the hatch and they pop out at the end. Otherwise, it's like, <laughs> why are they playing? They're cutting this? a hole in the hole, and they're like, "Did you rescue anybody else?" And they're like, "No, nope." nope. What about those fifty people heading the opposite? No, no, no. <laughs> Sorry, no. So yeah, there's my number one, the Poseidon Adventure. Nice. And you wonder why I won't go on a cruise. I'm telling well, you. Look at look at my choices. Yeah, it, death it on a boat. It makes me think twice. It does. <laughs> it does. I remember very distinctly that scene where they look out the window. You know, the captain, mm-hmm. and they see the they tidal see the wave, wave, and it's like, <laughs> oh shit. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so on that note, you know, there is a morning after. We call it the third gem. And there we go. And we're we're just continuing to outdo ourselves. This one, it's it's almost cinematic in its grandeur. Yes, we're gonna go with the third gem, uh, an earworm for sure. So sorry about that, folks. But uh, we were having a hard time with it until me and Michael thought of this one. I was like, holy crap, yes. Yeah. This is a little ditty by uh, a little little indie alternative band that came out in the '70s called Wings. Probably never heard of them. But hey, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Had a dude named uh, what was his name? McCartney, I think. Yeah, uh, I think it was Paul. some Scottish guy. Yeah, or yeah something. Yeah, Maybe it was we Welsh. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, indeed. But yeah, nice nice little setup. And his, his <laughs> wife was in there. She played tambourine. Uh, but yeah, this is uh, one of our favorite Wings tunes, um, uh, Slash and Bash, Uncle Albert and Admiral Halsey. We're going to play it for you now, and we'll be right back in a few minutes with, yes, some more things, stuff, a recap, an explanation. 
You name it. Stay tuned. We're so sorry. So sorry if we caused you any pain We're so sorry Uncle Albert But there's no one left at home And I believe I'm gonna wait
Now that was some fun. It's such an <laughs> earworm, though. That is going to stay with me forever. I'm like a little wings to cap things off. And some uh, whimsical wings yes. on that, which is what some of the critics said. They said it was a little, little too whimsical, a little too... Uh, really? Yeah, it was like an example of what McCartney has done after the Beatles. He doesn't, <laughs> doesn't take the music seriously anymore. Oh, my you know? goodness. But other people applauded it because of the mechanics that went into it. Sure. It's, you know, it's one of those slash songs like Heartbreaker and Living, Love, and Made. Right. Because you got to play them back to back. But it's really like not just two separate songs. It's like four separate songs. Oh, yeah. Well, from a production side, I would call it ambitious, to Extremely, say the least. yes. And just like having some fun. You know, yep. that was obviously what Paul was doing, was having yep. some fun in the studio. Well, I'll tell you what. I have a story about this one. All right. See? see I'm finally learning from you. All right. You know, it was uh, the, the song itself, and yep. you break it up by Uncle Albert and Admiral Halsey. Okay. It was um, an apology to the previous generation. Really? From his generation, you know, almost saying, we're sorry we don't understand you, you know, okay. but we care, we appreciate everything you did, you know. And then the Admiral Halsey part... Uh, based on our United States Admiral, Bull Halsey, right. which just stood for an authority figure, and he's like, yeah, just ignore them. Ignore the authority figures, you know. <laughs> but we right. do respect and appreciate those that have come before us. Right. And that was like the, the nutshell of, of the piece. Brilliant! Nice. Um, it was the first time his wife, Linda McCartney, yes. who really is the blueprint for, if you're going to bring your love interest into the band... Sure. Bring one that's going to contribute, you know? Yeah, yeah. And that was her first time in a recording studio, a professional oh, wow. one, was to All do right. this song. Yeah. And they had different parts done, you know, in the States and then sent back over to London and then back over here again. Wow. So much went into it. And it did rise to number one in the Billboard charts in 1971. Nice. You know? Nice. Finished well, the year at 22, I believe. Very, very fitting, I think, for that era. You yeah. know, as far as like the other music that was being recorded mm -hmm. and what was going on. And yeah, it was a little bit ambitious on Paul's. Yeah. Paul's side, and I think they nailed it. I really do. Wings is, I mean, it's an iconic 70s band. Yep. And they were one of the few acts they were able to walk the tightrope in between pop, rock, and disco. Yeah. And just keep doing hit after hit that got so much radio play. I mean, I always think, in, in looking back, like the soundtrack for my summer was, in a lot of ways, the Cars, yeah. you know, yeah. or any of those singer-songwriters like for the 70s. But if I had to pick one group... Because of the airplay it got, it, it's like a tie between Fleetwood Mac and Wings. Oh, yeah. Because they just owned the radio back then. Well, if you have any knowledge of the culmination of or the end of the Beatles, if you will, mm -hmm. you know, it, it kind of makes sense that Paul was just having fun at that oh, point. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, yeah, I'm going to bring my wife in. You know, I'm going to have a various different, you know, contributors to the quote-unquote Wings project and mm -hmm. whatnot. And we're just going to have a good time. Yeah. You know, I've made all the money. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't have to worry about that anymore. Yeah. So let's just have some fun. Let's try something new. Yeah. And he did, and it, it worked. So kudos to them. Nice. And thank you, Paul McCartney and Wings, for that great jam. Indeed. Just Indeed. so stuck in my head when I edit this thing. <laughs> nice. Oh, man. Nice. So... So. We got some interesting things going on in Big Boom Radio this week, Johnny. Well, it's oh, understatement of the year. And, yeah. and here's the deal. Um, some of you are actually watching us on YouTube. That's an indelible truth. Indeed. And that's because we had to make some changes. Yeah. The big ogre. Shall we break the third wall? Break the fourth, fifth, and sixth walls. The ogre known as the Universal Music Group. Those That's bastards. UMG to you and I. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sons of bitches. 
well, they make it virtually impossible to have a podcast yeah. with music, professionally done music, attached to it. God forbid. Even if you're not generating, generating income from the podcast, if you're not selling ad space on the said podcast, right. any of these normal things that would normally violate a Fair Use Act of 76, okay. they're still coming after you. So in our case, in particular on Spotify, uh. they keep coming at me every week now. The following episodes have been identified as using material that is copyrighted and you do not have permission. And it's true, folks. They're getting under Johnny's bed. They're getting into his <laughs> coffee in the morning. They're bringing crime. They're bringing rape. Ugh, it's ugly. <laughs> ugly. Very ugly. Because what they do is they've, they've got these AI spiders that crawl all over you know, YouTube and all the different, I mean, unlimited venues for podcasts. Yeah. And within the space of, of uh, one verse, they can identify a song pull it back, look for a licensing document hidden therein. Right. And if they don't see it, then it just reports, you know, ban this, get rid of them, do this, do that. Ugh. And everybody in the business is so scared shitless of this giant ogre. Right. Yes, Michael, the same giant ogre that had a warehouse fire and lost untold <laughs> original tracks by all these famous artists. Yeah. Let's not dwell on that. Though. Nice work, guys. Right? Nothing to see here. No. They're looking to come after little schmoops like me. Yep. Right? Bald guys with big beer bellies just trying to entertain the masses. They're like, oh, shut him down. Guilty. Yes. So I said right. to myself and my co-pilot here, self-co-pilot, yes. let's take our shit to the YouTubes. Let's do that. Let's get rid of the music portion for those watching. And as you saw already tonight, we, we, we fill it in with whimsical little placards talking about and giving credit to the artist, um, the year of the album, the song, all the stuff yeah. like we should because we respect... What they're doing. And that's the fun. You know, that's the fun. Always respect the art and the songs. Absolutely. I mean, hell, that's why we started doing this in the first place. To give, you know, life to these songs that have now like 20, 30, 40 years, in some cases, old. No one's listening to them anymore. We're bringing them to the forefront in some kind of uh, context. You know, we, we try. Sometimes it's thinner than others. <laughs> but still, we resurrect the stuff. We, we live on thin. We live on thin. Right. So yes. again, we don't normally violate any of the tenets of this copyright law, but Not it's still coming after us. And yeah. So mm. now we're selling out and we're taking it to YouTube. Unfortunately, face made for radio. This guy's holding <laughs> up pretty well. I, I, I can't explain this. Must sleep in an uh. oxygen chamber every night. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's going to be visual. So the important thing to realize is that the video version of the show, also entitled Riffs and Rants, mm. is going to be ever so slightly different. A little bit. Than the traditional show that is still going to be played on BigBoomRadio.com. Yes. That's an important fact right there. Yep. Currently, it's every Friday at 8 a.m. and 5 p.m., but we're going to expand. And then a little bird told me, that you'll also be able to download the original format of the show directly from... You better not be <laughs> BigBoomRadio.com. That is a rumor. Thus bypassing these other mass media outlets. Right. So, to summarize, you'll still get the same old version of whatever crap we do. All right? <laughs> thank you for loving it. I still don't understand why, but thank you. Yes. Plus now, you've got a slightly different version with... Some more bells and whistles coming. This is just the first effort out of the gate. Extra added value. Extra added value. There's going to be such things as the controversial bullshit button. Because some <laughs> yes. of you want to see us actually flex our differences of opinion. And hit each other with chairs. And hit each other with chairs. Yes. It might involve even doing more shots. You know, we'll, we'll have to do punishment. that. Punishment. That's kind of a given. You know? Yes. 
So yeah, there's more fun stuff coming. We're going to keep it just lighthearted, fun, never taking ourselves or anybody else. As always. Too seriously. Yes. Because there's too much of that all over the place. Way too much. And like I said, even if there's some missteps in his first visual version, you know my ass is going to nail this within three episodes. Because My money's on Johnny, folks. My money's on John. If nothing else, I'm still the king of all that is gimmicky. (laughs) And I will make this work. Arrogance may not be a uniquely American trait, but I must say you do it better than anyone. And that's why we love him, folks. And that's why we have a three-camera shoot right out of the gate. What? <laughs> Who does that? We do. Right here. We, we do. We do oh, this. There we go. All right. So in other stuff, uh, don't forget, uh, wow, next week, spending July 4th with Queen. I know. That's crazy, isn't it? It's all, next week. It is all day. On Tuesday, actual July 4th. Uh, we're spending the day with Queen. Because it's just something different. Because that's what we do. All day nonstop. Indeed. Freddie, Brian, the other two guys. Roger. Thank you. Yes. Did Robert. we mention Brian? We well, did. Roger didn't we? Taylor. Roger Taylor. Freddie Mercury. Brian May. May. And somebody else. Oh, man. See? We <laughs> suck. Now, see, this is what I mean. If this would happen in a later shoot, there would there would be a mandatory shot that would, that would have to be done. Yeah, absolutely. Or maybe a push-up. Yeah, that's not push-up. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say. Tip-up, not a push-up. All right. So basically, we have that to look forward did to. Did we mention Roger Taylor? Did we? we did, we did. We Just did. give it up, man. We screwed and the pooch Brian May and yeah. Freddie Mercury. That was a cluster. Uh, Brian Oof. May. Did we mention Brian yeah, May? Yeah, several times. I think yeah. he played guitar. He did. A little yeah. red guitar, from what is I understand. Is that what it was? Yeah. Yes, I remember that. He made it, because he's an astrophysicist. Very Crazy hair. Yes. Yeah, small hands, <laughs> smells like cabbage. Yeah. So anyway, that's gonna about do it for this oh, episode. Thank God. Yeah, and thank you for indulging us as always. We Indeed. look forward to fine tuning this. Yes. Making it better. All right. So as always, see some things never change. Indeed. As always, until next time, I am Johnny Teflon, and I am Michael Shumley, and we'll see you all on the flip side. <laughs>